2: in today's episode
3: of the Sixers beat Rich and I go over the Sixers big but frustrating win over the Cleveland Cavaliers give updated impressions on Jalen McDaniels during his short Sixers tenure so far and go over whether or not Dwayne Dedman can solve the Sixers backup center problems enjoy the podcast All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Botner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Hey, you doing, Rich? The
4: quote-unquote midway point of the season. It's nice. It's nice to have a break at really the two-thirds oh, yeah. mark of the season, but uh, I'm doing great, man. We have a, a week off. Uh, I know as we talk about off-air a lot, we are not going to the All-Star Game, no. this time in beautiful Salt Lake City, but we... Salt Lake City the is there. beautiful.
3: I will push back on that if
4: that was sarcasm. No, no, I actually agree. I, I told you about this a couple episodes ago. It's it's a cool city in that it's got the downtown. It's almost like I don't know half of Center City, Philadelphia. Obviously, the buildings aren't as big and all those things. But it's just wild how it's surrounded by mountains, like right there. Yeah, and, yeah, like pretty mountains. Like, like I don't white, think the city snow, is necessarily
3: good. one that I would love. Although I will say, like. I'm, I'm big on, like, a drivability score, uh, and when I was there, I rented a car because that is something that I tend to do, uh, and being able to, like, just drive anywhere, or, like, you're at the arena, and, like, five blocks downtown, you're, like, in the middle of, like, residential homes. It's very weird as an East Coast yeah. person. Uh, the The center city downtown area is just not the same when you get outside of the East Coast, but it seems like a livable city. I'm not sure I would want to live there long-term, but I love going through it. It's very beautiful.
4: I don't think I'd want to live there long-term either, but yes, I, I agree. It's, it's a nice nice city. Uh, that said, we're not going, and it has nothing to do with Salt Lake City. It has to do with the All-Star game is terrible. The event to yeah. cover is terrible, and it's just a nice break for all of us in the middle of the season. Also, Joel Meade might not even be going. Uh, he put some
3: doubt on that there last night when he talked about how he needs to get his foot right, which quite honestly, and I think some people come up with injuries so they don't have to play in the All-Star game. I think Joe's might be pretty legitimate. Like, we've been talking for a long time, like, hey, that foot looks pretty bad. I'm not sure it's gonna, if it's going to get better playing on it night in and night out. Is it going to magically get better here with a week off? Probably not, but it still might be the right thing to do. Uh, so it looks like Joe may or may not play. He said he will figure that out in the coming days. He pretty much has to because the All-Star game's on Sunday. But imagine if we were going out there and Harden's not playing. Joala ends up not playing. There's nothing to cover. In a bad event, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm well, not. I'm not
4: missing you still have, it. You still have two-way player Mac McClung. Read my story on the Athletic. <laughs> That's true. That's the, true. Uh, yeah, it's go read
3: Rich's uh, feature on, on on Mac there at theathletic.com slash
4: Sixers. So, yeah, there's just not a lot of Sixers based people going on. Maxi has graduated out of the the Rising Stars game, which, by the way, the Rising Stars game is even worse than the All Star game. Like the yeah. the first two years guys, you would think they'd be anxious and ready to play no i think they try and take it even cooler than yeah. the uh you know than the actual all-stars which many of them have become in a few years it's uh look i just i don't i don't really like all-star weekend i i think i've made that clear i uh i am a curmudgeon in that way but yeah there's just not a ton of 6 stuff going on uh to your point it might, on it and- might
3: be different like I- i'm honestly interested if like there are a lot of fans who love it because i think for us it's like A little bit of a downtime, a little break, caught up on some personal things. The basketball isn't good. Uh, How could you love it? The event isn't good to cover. Like, you don't get good access. Like, a whole bunch of reasons as a journalist is probably not interesting. I wonder if fans, like, you know, you can get into some stuff. The dunk contest used to be fun until they changed the rules every other year. The three point contest, I think, is fun. It's the game that I just find really bad.
4: (laughs) When I was a kid, specifically the three point contest and the dunk contest, yeah, that that's fun. Like that's legit. And honestly, maybe if I wasn't you know a curmudgeon now, it would still be fun. And I I also think a lot of people would argue the quality of those events, including or especially the dunk contest, dunk, yeah. have yep. uh, have fun. I mean, I you know, in fairness to the NBA, also
3: Nate Robinson still has me bitter. All these
4: years later, I am still bitter about Nate Robinson running it. Robbery. Robbery of Iguodala getting to do 85 dunk attempts, Nate Robinson. Uh, it was so bad. Um, Iggy deserved that one for sure. And that was when it was still pretty good. So, you know, I, I think part of it with the dunk contest is just the top guys don't do it anymore. And yeah. I think I get on, I don't get on LeBron about a lot of things for him to not do it once in his career. Kind of lame. Come on and do it one time. Are you saying max not bringing the same kind of juice? To the event, not 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 as quite as much as LeBron, Mac's gonna do his best, but uh, yeah, not not as much. I and to your point on Embiid, you know, he says the doc and he does tend to embellish these things, but he did say the doctor told him the best thing to do would be to take two weeks off. Well, he's played in 17 of the Sixers' last 18 games, yeah, and yeah. he looked like a guy at the end of that Cleveland game who was running on fumes, yeah. So
3: I guess we will start off sort of there with the Cleveland game. We'll probably have another podcast over the weekend that's maybe taking a a bit of a step back. Also, if you have any questions, send us an email, mailbag at SixersBeat.com. We can take a couple of mailbag questions because we do have some time off here. But it really did strike me, you know, because that, that Cleveland win, their fourth win in a row, they've now won something like I think it's 13 out of 16. Uh, important win because Cleveland came into the game only one game back of the Sixers for that race for the three seed. Cleveland is a good team. They have been playing well. They're tough to guard on the perimeter because of their two guards. They have, I think, coming in the number one ranked defense in the league or very they're, high up there. they were
4: third on cleaning the glass. Okay. But they're, they're up there. They, they are which, one of the elite defenses yep, for sure.
3: Which... I think it's overlooked in part because they have those two uh, electric guards and these Sixers won an important game and they just keep winning a lot of games. And (laughs) the way it ended and look, Doc Rivers was sort of on our side rarely, but he, you know, he was asked, like, what was the key to holding on there? And he's like, well, the the clock ran out like he was not very confident with the way. And I tweeted something out you know, with a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter, where it's like you're just kind of doing the math, like, all right, they're up by 11, there's this many possessions left, like, can they really blow this? It very much felt like that kind of a win. And they certainly have their share of those wins. You know, some of their games here of late, the Knicks game, the Celtics game, which was real bad, even the wins over the Knicks and Nets weren't necessarily well-played games. The Rockets barely count.
4: Those were the the Knicks-Nets wins. Those were the opposite. They were asleep yeah. at the beginning, yep. and then the fourth quarter they decided to try.
3: And it's been a little while since they put a complete effort together. But I still, it's tough for me to really, like, I, I was thinking about last night's game, and it's like, are we being a little too harsh on them? Because it is still a really good team they beat. They won a lot of these games. It's just when you walk away from it, a lot of times you feel unsatisfied with the effort. And I don't know whether or not it is... Just because we live with this team and their faults day in and day out, whether we would have this with every team that hasn't won a championship or if this team is just so frustrating that it's inevitable. I truthfully like walking away from that win. Again, a six point win over a good team that you really needed was a little more unsatisfying than I think I would have expected.
4: Yeah, I agree. And, And that's what I thought, too, because I think a lot of people would push back and say, hey, come on. Don't be so emotional about this. Did did they beat the team that had just won seven games in a row that has this crazy good point differential that is on your heels in the uh, Eastern Conference playoff race that you lost by 800 points to? Now, admittedly, without Maxie and Harden earlier in the year. Yeah, they did. They did. And I thought their first half was like really good. That's really good stuff, yeah. man. They were They were awesome on both ends of the court. Uh, And frankly, they didn't even need Embiid to be crazy good. Yeah. Because James Harden was the best dude in the floor by a yep. lot, I thought. And, uh, and I don't know. He was physically doing it, too. Yeah, the two, the two drives on Mobley where, and I've mentioned this on the pod before. We've kind of talked about it. The move he always, when he's blowing by people, it's between the legs left, crossover right. And man, he got Mobley, who is... You know, Evan Mobley, I'm not sure what type of offensive player he's going to be. It was termed to me like, is he Chris Bosh or is he Jaron Jackson Jr.? By the way, good outcomes for Cleveland on either of those Yeah, things. both really good players. Two are awesome players. But, you know, is the offense going to come along where he can be, you know, a true franchise cornerstone instead of just, you know, second, third option, probably a third option, honestly. Uh, and that's to be determined because I thought he was pretty bad offensively last night for most of the game. Sixers stopped trying. He started to get some easy points, but he's a really good defensive player. He's long. He's got excellent instincts and Harden blew by him a couple of times. Like he wasn't even there. And that's an awesome sign. Like that's, if we go back to our October pods, it's what's this guy's burst look like. Is is he able to physically do it one-on-one? And I think the the more we watch it this year, it's like there have been stretches where that hasn't been the case. Like he just, he hasn't been getting by guys one-on-one, but at the beginning of the year, And then in some of these recent games, okay. Like, he looked like he had the Jets in in a couple of those. So, you know, his passing was excellent. I think the Sixers shot, what did they shoot? Like 13 to 25 from Beyond the Arc last night, I think. Yep. That's a high number, but we talked about this. The makes are a high number. Huh? The
3: makes are a high number.
4: The attempts aren't necessarily high. The percentage is high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's what I mean. Uh, That said, I thought those shots were practiced shots most of them and it was very similar to what boston did to the sixers a couple weeks ago where yes they shot a high percentage they're gonna shoot a pretty high percentage on those and a lot of that was that james harden was dustin dudes off the dribble whether it was in pick and roll and that's a great sign so it's like that's another thing too because he's part of you know they fall asleep in the second half and and he is certainly culpable for that like you would just wish as a team after being up by 25 points in the first half (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the starting lineup, which basically blew that game open from the beginning, would say, "Hey, let's play hard for like S- eight. Give minutes. me six more minutes, and we can all go to yeah. Let, let's play. Let's play dark. hard. Let's either tie them or even like, what? What? What if we even advance the lead five points? You know? But like, just tie them. Just just waste time. And they just don't do it. They just don't do it. It they gave gets up seventy four points in the second half, and then in the fourth quarter they start fouling like yeah. Jalen McDaniel's. I think the we kind of saw, you know, that he he was not necessarily the answer. I mean, he got absolutely torched by Darius Garland a few times. Paul Reed was fouling. Joel was fouling. It was, they gave up a ton of points and it got to the point where they screwed around so much and it was so predictable that Mobley had a floater with, or a hook shot with like 50 seconds left. If that goes in and it was a good look, I bet you it was about a 50% look. If that goes in, that is a two-point game with 50 yeah. seconds left. And it's just like, they screw around to just an unbelievable degree. And and you see the level of focus and how hard they were trying in the first half. Yeah. It's like, wh- why is that impossible
3: to do in a third no, quarter? Not but only they can't did do they it. out-execute them in the first half, they outworked them. They out yes. them. They were getting floorboards and putbacks and all these things that like we very rarely see. They were winning the effort battle. And then it just, gone.
4: I think that's a good way to put it too, right? If they outwork a team, if they are like even with a team on the hustle stats and all those things, they're probably going to win. They're more talented and win comfortably against almost every team in the league. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know that that's a good team, and and letting them come back was was bad. But I mean, you mentioned the stats. On the other hand, like they. They don't lose a lot. They haven't lost a lot since a while ago. Since Harden uh, came back. You know. So at some point you look up and what are they 38 and 19 now? Yeah. They're winning two thirds of their yeah. basketball games. Like you and said yet, last pod, 40 20. They find a way to make it somewhat unsatisfying. I don't yeah. I don't understand it. <laughs> I wonder if we're being too hard on him, but it is reality. i it, it is a feeling that I have inside my head. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and I guess
3: if you're going to like try to find the optimist, because I think the the more I sort of got away from that game, the more you could see the the optimistic points, like Harden getting into the paint, good things are going to happen when he gets beats his man off the dribble, especially when you have a team full of pretty good spot up shooters. I think the Sixers are right towards the top in terms of spot up catch and shoot three point percentage. When Harden is able to create those looks, they're going to put up a lot of points. And when you project that and say, all right, Harden right now, at least, we'll see if it continues through us the regular season in the playoffs right now looks better athletically than he did last year, for sure. Better athletically than he looked at the beginning of the season. He looks like he is sort of rounding into having a little more burst. If you combine that with in the defense, you would hope that these frustrating moments where they just don't give a shit go away or at least diminish. Well, that's a pretty good indication. That's, that's a, a good sign of their playoff
4: chances. It's just, you, you I don't, would, you would hope they try in the playoffs. The whole yes.
3: Time. And I don't know. They're just like when, when they're bad, they're, it's one thing to like miss shots or struggle or even go through mental lapses. But when they're bad, they are just infuriating to watch. But they're good enough where they make up for it, two thirds of the time. It's it's a really strange team to cover.
4: They win games. It's uh, it's crazy. And I, I'll even go. Th- there are other positives to take from that uh from last night's game. And I would say over the past couple weeks, over the past couple weeks, the marathon man looks like he's playing better. Yeah, he he is playing better. Yeah, he's looking a little more like the guy we thought they were signing for sure. That's really important, you know, huge. and huge. And he's been a part of some some kind of monster runs
3: from that first unit. Especially if you now have Jalen McDaniels, who maybe you trust a little more to play, especially now if you have B-Ball Paul in that backup center spot instead of Montrezl Harrell. And we'll get to that spot in a minute. But all of a sudden, some of your defensive shortcomings, you're covering them up a little bit. I'm not completely bought into this team defensively, but if those two things are true, where you can play McDaniels more than you're comfortable playing Thibel, and you will play Reed rather than Trez, it helps. Doesn't solve, but
4: it helps. And yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. No, it's it's true though. I mean and McDaniels I look, he he struggled in the second half defensively. Everybody on the Sixers struggled in the second half yep. defensively. So I'm not singling he, him he, out too he much. He seems
3: a little bit like uh, Melton, where you know, he's real helpful as a team defender. He can get blown up by some screens though. And the Sixers really don't have very many players who can comfortably navigate and fight through screens. It's Perhaps their biggest weakness, even above uh, denying dribble penetration. But he seems a little bit like Melton uh, in that regard.
4: Yeah, and you, you kind of wish he would just play off guys because he is so long, he's, man. Yeah, he recovers very well. He can, he he should almost play like the Iguodala-type defense, where you, you give the guy some space and you just catch up with your length. Uh, he's even longer than the Iguodala is, obviously. I don't think he has the instincts or, or the strength that Andre did. No. But like he's got some tools to be a very helpful both help and on ball defender. Uh, I certainly want to see him play more, even with the, uh, the struggles last night. You know, Tobias makes his catch and shoot threes, which is important in last night's game. And I honestly just think just winning a game where Joel was not that good yeah. is a good sign. And it's, it's tough. Like they, they continue to win these games and some of them are against good teams. So I, you know, at some point, I, I know the, uh, I looked at the 538 model today, and they are projected to finish as the same record as the uh, as the Cavs. I think part of that is that their point differential is not elite. Like, the Cavs have a much better point differential than the Sixers, in part because the Sixers screw around so much. And in part because the Sixers have a brutal march coming yep. up here. That said, like, I, I don't know. I, I think they're going to handle it fine. They, they continue to win these games. And... and it's kind of like we were saying, like, I'm not sure the habits are all that great that are being built. But on the other hand, it's like when they can turn it on, when they show you what that first half looks like, that's dominant. And a- as much as we can play in the-, the lapses, don't come in losses all that often.
3: <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, All right. I guess we can pivot. Oh, any other major sort of takeaways from that game? I mean, the the turnovers at times were frustrating in the second half. They only had three in the first half, but they got a little sloppy with the ball in the second half. Uh, Joel specifically had some moments where he was not recognizing those double teams. The fouling was perplexing and maddening.
4: Any other Uh, major sort of takeaways there? Well, and that was made even more frustrating because their first half defense was excellent. Yeah. Excellent. You mentioned they were running the hustle plays. Embiid was rebounding like a madman, which is not always his favorite thing to do. He was boxing people out and, and rebounding. You had Harden making extra efforts on, on the defensive end. You know, PJ making extra efforts. You know, George even getting a couple stops here and there. It was Yeah, I mean George it was, did. Harden it was, was, great, was playing
3: really good defense
4: for him. It yeah. Was good it it was a great team first half, but it just goes to show that second half was wasn't great. And I think you saw a little bit with Cleveland. They they got some dudes you can help off of. And you know, it's funny that the Sixers aren't that team anymore where you know, the guys that you help off on the Sixers like they helped off PJ Tucker and PJ Tucker looks like normal PJ Tucker now. That's a mistake. If if you're going to give him practice level open threes from the corner, if he's his normal normal self, yeah. those are going in. So it's weird. It's weird that the Sixers are you the better team. Better have ten that,
3: seconds left on the shot clock because it takes them a little bit.
4: But it does it's going in. Yeah, um, for them to have the spacing. But yeah, no, nothing, not nothing really else except uh, I, I, that first half. And, and I guess that's the final takeaway for me is that first half, as frustrating as the second half and the lack of focus and like clockwork, a twenty-five point lead. It's like <laughs> let's let's that's stop amazing. doing what we were doing. I think because that it, should that should give you some hope moving forward. That was really high level. They, they had it them.
3: like you know twenty five points at halftime. I think Cleveland trimmed it to twelve at one point in the third quarter, but then they bounced back, pushed the seventeen by the end of the third. You thought, all right, well they they got that out of their system. Maybe it'll be clear sailing from here. Nope, nope. Got it. Cleveland got it down to what I think four there towards the end. Had a chance to get it even lower, but they held on. They held on. All right. Any uh, any sort of updated thoughts? on Jalen McDaniels here now that we've had a few more games to watch him
4: since the last time we talked. I, I I like him, you know, again, it's a, it's a bit role. I like that. Uh, he seems to be kind of uh, the Jumaine Jones to uh, the Doc's Larry Brown, where after that is of, a
3: fantastic pull there.
4: Yeah. Good job. After timeout plays, seems like they like to set him up for lobs against switching defenses, which is, which is good. I think, you know, Again, I guess not
3: quite I, the arc on his shot that Jermaine had. That was a moonball.
4: No, uh, and you saw he missed a couple, but you know, like he, he had a, a drive against Houston where when you compare him to Thibault, by the way, Thibault, good for him for his, what do you make five threes in that first game? I think it was four. I think it was four for six. Okay. And that was the topic that led Sixers Reddit and all of these other things. <laughs> Uh he scored two points the next night in yeah. thirty minutes no and
3: he so, didn't like i we can we can get on Doc for some of the decisions he makes uh Matisse Thibel's inability to make an wide open like like you say, check the win corner three that's not
4: that's not doc's fault yeah so and i, I would say McDaniels in comparison to him, and I'm not even saying McDaniels is a better player than Thybul. I think go back to the uh the trade deadline pod for our full thoughts on that. He is a more conventional player, though. He certainly, he had a couple drives against Houston where you're just like, hmm? Theibel is not making that play in the open yeah. court. Like, he's, he's putting like three and four dribble moves together, which you just don't see <laughs> no. quite, quite as much. Uh, and I guess one other thought from the game, now that I'm thinking about too, I thought Tobias did a good job on Mitchell early on in, in the second half. But when you have Tobias and McDaniels now, McDaniels is the other element of this, you know teams with small guards the Sixers are going to have to play some of these bigger wings against them that could be hard like Mm -hmm. Donovan Mitchell is quicker than those guys he's really good but if the Sixers are locked in defensively like you can see some stretches like you saw in the first half where it's like oh shit they're long like that's yeah it's not easy to play against even if he does have a little bit of a quickness advantage and I thought even Garland who who lit up McDaniels too like some of those shots were really hard Darius Garland is both a really good player and was on fire last night. So uh I like him. I, I would continue to play him fifteen to twenty minutes. I, I think I would like to see him in more of a switching scheme. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I would really like to see get PJ out there at center and see what that looks like yep. now now that you have McDaniels. Yep. Uh it, it's it's more I, And I would
3: stagger say, and, and Harden so you can put Harden in a switching scheme and see whether or not you can overcome his defense for a couple minutes a game.
4: Yeah. Uh so I I like what he he does now. Some of the reasons I like him is that he lets the other players, you know, he unlocks lineups that lets the other players maybe thrive a little bit more, which is a good thing. Like, look, he's a role player, but uh, yeah, I, I would say my early impressions on him is that he's he's been off to a pretty good start. I, I've been he's probably exceeded my expectations a little yeah. bit, but it's still the early going. I, I would say.
3: I would agree. I think he has certainly exceeded my expectations. Not numbers, because like you know. Who cares if, like like you mentioned with Diable, like you come out, you make a couple threes, that shouldn't change in evaluation, it's just one game, one week, Mm -hmm. even one month. I do think he's done a good job of playing within his role, and if you go back and listen to our podcast uh, immediately after the trade, him sort of shedding those bad habits that he had with the Hornets, and playing a more conventional role with fewer mistakes and fewer bad shots, was what I thought was the key, and I think so far he's done that perfectly well you know, it does seem like he is uh, able to thrive in the role that they currently have him in, and he's willing to accept that. And if that's the case, then I think the, you know, he will be a slightly better, slightly more willing shooter with Thibault, who can put the floor on the ball, floor on the ball, ball on the floor, is certainly better than Thibault, and that should make him playable. And even if his defense is only 80, 85, 90%, whatever percent you want to put him at of Thibault's. The fact that you can put him on the court for twenty minutes in the, in the playoffs would be massive. And so far, I think, if mindset was my major concern, I think he has uh, not. I don't want to say quelled those because yeah, that has to be an extended period of play. But certainly, the first indications are more positive than I maybe gave him credit for. And if that's the case, then I like the trade significantly more.
4: Yeah, he he certainly looks the part of somebody who. Our main question: Can you go from playing nonsense ball to? A team that plays nonsense ball half the time, but they they play it in their own way, though. A team that, even when they play (laughs) play nonsense nonsense
3: ball, but they still expect to win.
4: Yes. They play nonsense ball, but they better have more points than the other team at the end of the game. And I think he has fit into that (laughs) culture, that dynamic, pretty well. I I like what I've seen.
3: That is a, a really good way to tie the two segments of the podcast together so far. Props. Props to you. All right, third segment here. The Sixers signed Dwayne Dedman to a rest-of-the-season contract, finally using up that 15th roster spot, using up a little less than half of the remaining room that they have under the luxury tax, which, again, props to Josh Harris for accomplishing that goal. (laughs) He (laughs) has... I don't... Look, all right, whatever. He has not played so far. He has been with the team for... Yesterday was the first game that he was officially with the team Correct? Uh, so we've had one game here yes. where he has been on the roster and Doc has continued to play B-Ball Paul. I guess two questions. First, what do you think of the signing? I'm not expecting your evaluation to change too much when you called him I think he's dead, Mon. Yes. And do you think Doc is going to
4: use him correctly? I think the signing is bad. I, I would rather them... I mean... I, so So Doc mentioned during the game that he at least gives the Sixers a bigger body. He does. Okay. He's he's and we
3: saw him in the locker room. He's he's a big dude. He big is dude. a big guy. M-
4: maybe there is one matchup where that matters. You know, maybe they, Milwaukee. they they run into Milwaukee and that team is just pummeling the Sixers on the boards. Okay. M- maybe he just becomes necessary because Paul Reed and Montrose Harrell just just don't cut it. That said, I don't think he's even in close to the same class of player as Paul Reed is. He's just, he's just not as good. I mean, Derek, have you seen his numbers this year? You're going to go to
3: on-off numbers now? Yes. He's like negative 11 or negative 13 or something like that? Negative
4: he, 13. Or- he's 15 points worse when he plays Miami. And he, as we saw last night, he like flipped over a table. That was like the last thing he did when he played. What, what, what was the thing? The, the Theragun yeah. flew onto the yep. floor? I mean, I
3: think I, if, you, if you lip reads Bo's reaction, I think you called him a bleeping baby.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, that's, and that's Miami Heat basketball where they get into in arguments. Oh lot. yeah.
3: Jimmy Butler's like ready to kill him, but that's fine. Cause he's Jimmy Butler. You can
4: get away with that. You mm-hmm. can't win your Dwayne Dedman. No, I will say pretty strong dude though, to knock over that table and that your just flew on the floor i mean that was like a tennis ball almost like flying on the floor so definitely has some strength as a positive but yeah in in most matchups he should not play in in almost all of them i paul Reed is better paul Reed, as we saw i guess we didn't talk about this from the Cavs game he's playing well and and at least b-ball paul not not a perfect player by any means certainly not a perfect offensive player he had a, a bad turnover trying to get the ball from from a to b in last night's game, he just does positive things on the court. Yeah. And Dwayne Deadman, I'm not sure what the positive thing he's going to do is. So, is that going to use him? I think a little bit. Yeah, I do. So, So, I guess not we, great. It, we can go over some of the positives real quickly.
3: He's a good rebounder, especially defensively. Now, part of that's because when he's defending the pick and roll, he completely sells out. Plays in the drop, immediately goes to box out his man, which again, good. But if you look at his his Synergy numbers on pick and rolls, he's one of the worst defensive bigs defending pick and rolls, which, of course, of, of course, I, I actually think some of those numbers might be a little deceiving. Like he has played a few enough minutes where those kind of numbers, the on off numbers, might not be truly representative, but he certainly gives up a lot of ground in a drop, in part because his one real skill defensively is protecting the rim. So you want to make sure he is in that spot, in part because he wants to be there for a defensive rebound. And in part because he just doesn't move his feet all that well in the perimeter. So it's a combination of those three. So he will at least help out a little bit on the defensive glass if they can force a miss. We'll see. He does still sort of protect the rim a little bit. But again, it comes at the expense of defending outside the paint. And he's aggressive as a dive man, I guess, is the way I would describe it. Now, is that a positive No, he's not really all that skilled. Like, his hands are better than Nerlin's, but that might be the extent of the praise I can give him there. And he just takes some wild shots. So, like, do you ever want to really utilize him? No, not really, but that's sort of what he is. It made a lot more sense back when his three-point shot was reliable, and at least you can get defensive rebounding, rim protection, and floor spacing but nobody's really guarding him on the perimeter anymore. He shot, I think 27% from three since he left Atlanta back in 2019. 2019 was a minute ago now. So I don't really know, like if he can't really defend in, I mean, there's a reason a, a a playoff team that's short on depth traded him to avoid a luxury tax bill. Like, you know, will he make more of an impact? If utilized correctly, then the empty 15th roster spot, I guess, but he has to be utilized correctly. And my fear is going to be similar to what we said with DeAndre Jordan last year, is that Doc will say, all right, this is my day-in, day-out backup big, and not like this is my matchup-dependent curveball. We'll
4: see. We'll see. Yeah, I don't have anything else. It has all the makings of another disastrous Sixers backup center signing, and it's up to Doc to not play him and make it, so...
3: I think I might like him more than Trez. Is <laughs> maybe the highest praise I can give him. Maybe it's just, like, a different kind of bad, and I'm um, I'm um, uh, interested in seeing a different kind of bad. But, like, it's that level of a player. It's yeah. Probably worse than Trez, but he can at least rebound. I don't know.
4: Yeah, he might so. be worse than Trez, but he might be a better playoff player just because... The stuff Trez is so bad at is so actively harmful in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, I could see that. He's less less actively harmful on defense than Trez.
3: That's that's my full scouting report. He might be well he certainly is more actively harmful on offense. Um one thing I was, I was just blown away by, while trying to catch up on him a little bit. He does not like he has I, I almost respect the bit, but he does not believe in passing. Like period. If he catches the ball on a roll, that, that shot's going up. I don't care if he's triple teamed. I don't care if it's deflected. That ball is finding a way to go up on the rim or it's it's turnover. It's not going to be a pass. Which, when you are Dwayne Dedman, you should probably be a more willing passer. But So, more actively harmful on offense, less actively harmful on defense than Trez. I'm open for watching another flavor of bad but i don't have my hopes set high and i do think that this is just one more impediment to doc coming to the final conclusion he should have come to a year and a half ago which is b-ball paul and again which isn't even so much that i'm a huge b-ball paul supporter it's just the other guys can't which now we've cycled through (sighs) paul milsap deandre jordan montrez harrell and Dwayne deadman also doc rivers doesn't play The one guy who at least has a chance of playing in the playoffs.
2: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
4: I think moving forward to the playoffs, the only way I see this working out is that Doc has this order of operations. You have two main backup centers, Paul Reed, P.J. Tucker. And if there is a matchup like Milwaukee where it is proven that you cannot rebound at all and that you were just getting destroyed, then you go to
0: Deadman. Maybe Phoenix in the finals. Yeah,
4: Trez is not that person either. Uh so go to Deadman, see if he can rebound. Again, like six, but seven it, minutes. That's it. Has to know. be matchup
3: dependent. Just has to be like my fear is that he he goes, Okay, Dwayne, you're the night in night out backup pick.
4: No. Yeah, no, that's, that's so no. Fair fear because there was somebody who was as bad as Deadman who was the backup center last night or last year. So we'll see if he has learned his lesson from the Ghosts of Sixers Pass.
3: Dwayne Dedman or DeAndre Jordan,
4: who
3: you got? Uh, I think I think Dwayne moves his feet better than DeAndre, so I'll go I'll go Dwayne.
4: Yeah, I think I'll go Dwayne too. I mean, I I think last year when DeAndre was playing, I was a little more like put my foot down. This is ridiculous. That said, I'm I'm pretty put my foot down. This is ridiculous. You he can't play too much. Dwayne you said it. The Heat are in a playoff chase, and they have a two way guy who's playing over him. Yeah, because he's better. And they traded him just to deduct the luxury tax. Okay, yeah, well. that's it. That's a nice positive note. Look, and that's what the Sixers deserve for that second half. It was like the the first half was generally pretty positive. Second half of this pod, <sighs> Dwayne Dedman.
3: Yeah. I, I w- would have liked Dwayne Dedman 4 years ago. Yeah. And well, we saw uh, him. Not like, as much, yeah, not as yeah, much. Ear Kings game. liked him because became a bad contract right away. Dude hasn't been able to reliably shoot ever since then. Which is amazing, because he shot 37 in his two years in Atlanta, 37% from three on pretty good volume. And like I said, he's shot like 27% from three since then. It's weird. It's weird. Uh and I think even his mid-range shot is down about 10% from where it was, which means that like, you know, any of the floor spacing or any kind of like maybe stuff that he could give you attacking closeout is just gone because nobody's defending him out there and he tries to force too much anyway any other stray thoughts here before we get out of here like i said another podcast here over the weekend mailbag questions send them to mailbag at sixersbeat.com no
4: not too many the uh sixers are the only game in town right now so yeah unfortunately oh uh, man we don't even need uh, we don't need to talk about that but that is enough hopefully hopefully there starts to be a little more honestly interest.
3: so like like i guess we're going. um like that game hurt but i i it didn't kill me like i thought it would and i think in part that might be because the future is so optimistic we're talking about the super bowl now and in part because we just got one five years ago but usually like a game with that kind of lost opportunity and missed opportunity on that stage with those stakes I think would have hurt me a little more than I was expecting. I think it's in large part because I'm so optimistic about the future, but uh, that might just be a coping mechanism because the Philadelphia teams have gone like two for their last 14 in the, in the various championship games. So maybe I'm just figuring out ways
4: to cope. I don't know. That game decimated me. Uh, (laughs) And I will say I was surprised it decimated me considering. Yeah. That they, they won one a few years ago and that was kind of, My life's goal as a fan almost was to see the Eagles win one, because every time they lost, you know, deep in the playoffs, I was like, "Oh, they're never gonna win one." And And it happened to be like during like the one year at the Athletic where you're covering the Eagles too, so you got to experience everything. And that isn't the case anymore. But man, I I was surprised. That was an absolute gut punch. And I am optimistic about the future, but I don't know. I I don't want to hear we'll be back because no, it's so never know. It's so hard hard to get back. But yeah, I I am optimistic. I, I. I love the quarterback. I love the roster, but it is going to be harder. And yeah, it it was a nightmare that said, uh, the weather being 65 degrees and and having a couple Sixers games to (laughs) distract me was, uh, was good. So it was
3: certainly a gut punch. I think it just didn't linger quite as long as I I, I would have expected. But anyway, we don't need to talk about more depressing. Is there anything else depressing that you'd like to bring up here to to close this one out?
4: No, that was the main thing. All right.